Father, thank you so much again for your word, and we now turn our attention to your word. Uh, it's, it's the most powerful thing in this entire, it's living, it's active. Uh, it's able to pierce our hearts when nothing else can. When we've grown cold and bitter and calloused, your word can speak just the smallest thing, and it can pierce through. And it hurts, Lord, to hear your word sometimes. But Father, we trust that you're a surgeon with a scalpel removing sickness and, and, and sinful desires in our heart. Lord, we can trust you that your word is good for us. And Lord, I pray that through the words that we read today, that your faithfulness would be shown and your glory would be seen, Jesus, and that you would be the center of all attention and praise in this place. Use us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Follow the breadcrumbs. We have over here, we have communion, which we do, you know, usually every Sunday. Not every Sunday, but almost every Sunday we have communion. And, and part of it is bread and part of it is wine. And so I wanted to just point your attention over there and have you look at that and, re- and know that you're going to go over there after service. And you're going to, if you choose to embrace what Jesus has done for you, you're going to go over there. You're going to eat a piece of bread. And this bread is going to be a powerful thing in your life. It's not magical. It doesn't become anything magical in your mouth or in your stomach. But it's a point of contact for your faith. It's something that you you can say, I trust Jesus, and because I trust Jesus, I'm going to chew on this cracker that we call bread. It's the worst bread ever. Yesterday we were in Safeway, and they had the, like all these samples out, right? Because they're trying to sell a lot of stuff for the Super Bowl. And they had this jalapeno bread. And I should have brought that for communion today because that is delicious. Oh, my gosh. So good. And you just have to, we would have to like manly break it off. And I thought it'd be real like first century style. But <clears throat> my wife's like, that's gross. So, yes. Oh, thank you. Always looking out for me. Wingman. <laughs> All right, so we're now in, in, in chapter 42. We're going to get started because we're going to actually go through um, the last couple of verses of chapter 42, all of chapter 43, and all of chapter 44 today. Usually we go through like one verse, right? So this is the most scripture I have ever covered in a Bible study. Yes. This is like the Super Bowl of Genesis for us. But uh, it's, it's not like crazy, so... So we, we left off last week in verse 36 of Genesis chapter 42. So we're going to back up those and hit those last two verses because Jeremy Day got on me and he's like, you didn't do the last two verses? I was waiting for those last two verses. So I had to cover those last two verses because Jeremy was very intense about this last two verses. I was just going to skip them, honestly, but I, I will not skip anymore. You keep me on track. I appreciate brothers in the Lord to keep me on track. Uh, so we, le- we did this verse last week, verse 36. Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. And we learned that. We studied that. We got went into that. And we learned all these things is against me is a horrible lie. That is not true. Nothing is against you if you love God. All things are for you, right, exactly. And that was a great truth that we learned last week. 
Jacob was struggling to see God's will. And, and, and we learned, okay, so God's, all things work together for the good of those who love God. And we asked ourselves, do I love God? And we went and we looked at Peter and how Peter, he struggled with that. Jesus is like, do you love me, Peter? And Peter's like, I like you. And three times he asked that question, do you love me, Peter? Peter's like, I like you so much, but I mess up so much. And Jesus is drawing his attention away from his failures and towards serving and loving the people of God. And Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And my command is to love one another. And so we saw this really clear thing. If it, to know if you love God, you just look around at the people around you and say, do I love these people or do, they, do I hate them? Are they annoying? Well, you won't last long if you hate them, right? Because it's just, it doesn't work that. That's, that's the litmus test for whether you're a believer. All right, so he says, all these things are against me. Really, Jacob, really? Well, verse 37, then Reuben spoke to his father saying, kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. Verse 38, but he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way, you can underline those terms, those three words, along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Jacob is so dramatic, so dramatic, but he's so much like us. <laughs> Jacob does not want to do this. He doesn't want to follow the bread. What? What are you talking about? Follow well, what's going on? There is a giant famine in Canaan, in the whole world. The whole known world at the time was under a horrible famine. And this was all prophesied by Joseph's dreams, and God has provided, and Joseph is reigning in, in Egypt as second in command, and, and he has bread there. There is bread to be found. But Jacob doesn't want to follow the bread. That's very important. We're going to hit that many times, and you're going you're gonna to get it as we go through it. But I'm just going to put it out. I'm going to throw it out there. He doesn't want to follow the bread. He's made up his mind that he knows what's best for him and his family, and it's for me and Benjamin to stay here in Canaan while you guys go back. You ten, my other ten sons. He is living in fear and not courage. He is not trusting God, which is not a good choice. He's not trusting his sons. Maybe that is a good choice. His sons have been pretty despicable, as we've seen. He, he's more worried about the along the way than, he, than actually what they, what's going to happen to them when they get to Egypt. He's not really concerned about what Joseph, what, what this prime minister is going to do to his sons. He's more concerned about along the way. Why do you think, how many times do we worry about the along the way troubles that may come. Well, I don't want to do it God's way because along the way, I might have some difficulties or some trials. And we don't want to do the will of God because of fear of what might happen to us. I see Christians all the time and they're paralyzed by fear spiritually. They, they have heard a call in their life, but they won't get up to follow that voice, that calling in their life. And we need to remember Romans 8.28, which the last three weeks we've referenced this verse. Obviously, it's an important verse. If you get tattoos, get it. We know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? 
All things work together for good, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If he called you to go down a path, God's saying, he already knows all the challenges you're going to face on that path. And he still called you. So if God calls you to get married, or if God calls you to be a missionary, God calls you into ministry, God calls you to speak to a, a coworker, a friend, Listen to those calls and know, yes, troubles might come along the way. But that is, some, you're, you're not supposed to make your decisions based on those. You're supposed to make your decisions regardless of that. That's for you, Martin. I didn't say you're regardless. I said regardless. For you. We have to have courage to follow Jesus. Courage. Bravery. Each and every one of those challenges, those bumps along the way are according to his purpose. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, along the way, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer or courage or bravery, because I have overcome the world, Jesus says. He says, in me, you can have peace. You can know that what you're called to is, is right. And you can stand in that. And there will be troubles. You get married, you guys will fight. You will have troubles. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't get married. Oh, I'm just going to stay in my room forever and be lonely weirdo. That's not maybe what God wants for you. The road ahead is rocky, but go down it anyway. Make the decision today that you will trust Jesus and keep walking the narrow road. Keep humbly trusting that he has already overcome every one of your trials and he will not leave you or forsake you. These are the truths we have to keep in our mind at all times. Jacob, he's messing this up. And we see it with his relations with his, his sons right there. Now we start verse chapter 33. Now the famine was severe in the land and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that his father sent to said to them, go back and buy us some food. Again, Jacob did not want to do this, but God always knows how to break us down. He is trying to break down Jacob's will and resistance to God's will. He, he's trying to get his son to stop fighting against the plan of God. And so what does he do? He brings a situation into Jacob's life, a circumstance that is difficult. And it's to get Jacob to surrender. He's trying to bring Jacob to the place where he can really be blessed. I mean, God wants to provide bread for Jacob. He, he wants to. He's already set up the resources and the way to get these resources through Joseph, who is a picture of who? Oh, you guys are well taught. But now, God brings these circumstances to force Jacob to follow the bread. To follow the bread. He's out of bread. No more life-giving grains are growing in this land. Do you think Jacob prayed for God to provide? Lord, send rain. Do you think Jacob might have grown a little bitter that God wasn't changing his circumstances? I could totally see that happening. I can see that Jacob was probably like, Lord, you told me to live in Canaan. And God's like, yes, now I'm telling you to move. 
Well, I don't want to. Well, I don't care. I love you and I have bread provided for you in Egypt. You guys are intermarrying with the Canaanites and it's bad news. It's going to corrupt you guys. You need a safe place where you can grow as a nation. I can grow a people group and so I'm going to send you to Egypt. You're going to end up living in peace there and have the whole land of Goshen really nice where for 250 years you're going to grow into this million people that are pure, that will follow me and know my laws. That's, that's what's going to happen. But Jacob, he's, he's fighting against this. But God can be pretty stubborn in his desire to bless us. Even when we don't understand our situations, we got to trust him. Oh, why did they, why did she break up with me? Why did they fire me? Why do I look like this? <laughs> you got to trust him. He has a blessing in store for you. If you were all gorgeous, <laughs> you might have a girl love you for the wrong reasons. I don't, I'm just coming up with stuff. You know. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. But Judah spoke to him saying, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we're not going to go. For the man said to us, you're not going to see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, oh, Israel's another name for Jacob. And he says, why do you deal so wrongfully with me as to, tell, as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me. And we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself uh, will be surety for him. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back and you set and set him before you, to you to set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, we would surely have returned this second time. So Judah is finally doing something right in his life. If you guys remember, Judah has been the biggest failure of all of the children of Israel. He, 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 I mean, go back and listen to the messages. He's awful. But now he seems to be ready to surrender to the Lord. He seems to have a heart change. He seems to be done fighting against God. He's been fighting against God for a long time. He didn't want to accept his role in the family. He didn't want to accept Israel, the responsibilities of love and family and relationship. He didn't want any of it. He left his family for a good chunk of time. Now he's back and he seems to be ready to stop fighting against God. Some people don't fight as long as other people. And here Judah is not even fighting as long as Jacob, his father which is crazy. Verse 11, And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry them down as a present for the man. A little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double your money in hand and, and take back uh, in your hand the money that was returned in the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man, and he may release your other brother and Benjamin 
If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So they took, well, for, first of all, Jacob sees this change in Judah, and it kind of convinces him that it's, this is going to be okay. Because remember, Jacob doesn't trust his sons. His sons, he knows something happened. He knows something went down. He can see the looks on their faces. Every time they mention the word Egypt or Joseph, he knows ah, something's going on. I just don't know what it is. And I'm old. I can't figure it out. It's like a crossword puzzle, and they can't figure it out. Well, so now Judah, though, has this heart change, and Jacob recognizes it, and he says, okay, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Now look, look carefully. They take double the money in their sacks. So this is crazy. To, down to Egypt to buy grain and the Egyptian leader's favor. So since the 10 brothers went to Egypt, they took double the money, which were 20 units of money. Okay, this answers exactly to the 20 pieces of silver that they sold Joseph for way back in chapter 37. The words for silver and money are the same in Hebrew. So they end up taking 20 pieces of silver or 20 pieces of money to gain this guy. It's just so crazy how that lines up perfectly. And Jacob, he's taking this huge step of surrender now. So it, it could have been glad surrender, but right now it's more of grudging surrender. But we'll take what we can get from Jacob right now. In anchor groups, we're going to be studying, we're going to study more of this topic of surrender a little bit this week. But verse 15. So the men took that present and Benjamin, and they took double the money in their hand, and they rose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home. And slaughter an animal and make it ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. That's a, you could highlight at noon. What else happened at noon in the Bible? What? Yeah, Jesus was crucified at noon. And there seems to be this relation to dining with Joseph and the crucifixion of Jesus. We're going to see this play out. The bread, hmm, what's going on here? We are in verse 17. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the men brought uh, the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said, it is because of the money which was returned on our sacks the first time that we were brought in, so that they may have a case against us to seize us, to take us as slaves with our donkeys. Oh no, they're going to make us slaves. Ah! With our donkeys. Ah! I don't understand why they're concerned about their donkeys being slaves or being with them as slaves. I have no idea. Maybe they joined PETA in the last few years and they're like, we got to protect our donkeys, but they loved these donkeys. They did not want them taken as slaves. Well, when they drew near to the steward's uh, steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we, we indeed come down, came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment and we opened our sacks that there was each man's money was in the mouth of the sack and our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hands. Verse 22, and, and we have brought down our other money in our hands to buy food, and we do not know who put the money in our sacks. Verse 23, but he said, peace be with you and don't be afraid. Your God... 
and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Man, if they only knew how good God was to them. God, that what they're worried about is not a problem. And the, the same truth is for you today. What you're worried about isn't a problem. God has it all under control. You have no idea how much he loves you. Stop worrying. He loves you. He's going to take care of it. Just walk with him on the journey and trust him. Verse 24, so the man brought the men into Joseph's uh, house and gave them water. Highlight that word, water. And then he washed their feet. You can underline that, highlight that. And he gave their donkeys feet. Oh, so we even care about the donkeys again. These are popular animals. Three verses in the Bible. There, I just. Then they made a present ready for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that he would eat bread there. Again, at noon, there's this bread eating going on. And, and there's this going to be a revelation going on. Very interesting. Follow the breadcrumbs, okay? And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed, bowed down before him to the earth. And he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health, and he is still alive. And they bowed down their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, his, his true full brother. And he said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And they said, And he said, Joseph said, God be gracious to you, my son. Highlight that verse. Now his heart yearned for his brother. And he went into his chamber and wept there. See, these brothers, you know, they expected to be judged and condemned, and instead, they're blessed. How familiar is that? That is the character of God that we have seen demonstrated over and over and over in the book of Genesis. Over and over. We, I mean, go all the way back to the families after Adam and Eve. And how they just, they were hating God, except for this one godly line of Seth. All the other families, they hated God. And God was reaching out his hand of grace to them constantly and saying, I want to love you. I will receive you back to me. And they're like, no, we'll have none of it. We don't want you to rule over us. Too many rules with church. Too much rules with God. Really? God loves you. His plan for you is to bless you, not to burden you. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When they deserved jail, his brothers do deserve jail, right? They sold someone in slavery, took away their, all that. They're given water. When they deserve jail, they're given water. Jesus is the water, right? He said, I am what? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, Jesus said. Out of his heart will throw liver. <laughs> that didn't sound right at all. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I'm not a professional speaker or anything. 
It's not like this is my job. <laughs> All right. Jesus is the water. When they deserve jail, they get water, refreshment, life. How good is God that that's what he does? You deserve jail too. Spiritual condemnation, being locked up because you're guilty of sinning. And yet Jesus says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of that. I'll give you water, refreshment instead. When they were dirty, he washed their feet. They were served. Jesus does that also. He exemplified it for us at the end of the Gospels. He said, I'm going to wash your feet. He washed those feet of the disciples, showing his servant-centered heart and his, his willingness to clean you up. You don't have to clean yourself up. Before. You guys have heard that so many times at church. Don't clean yourself up first before you come to Jesus. But what do you all do? Hang on, let me get my life under control. All, we do it all the time. And God is like, stop. If I could get you this good news, this gospel, come to me and I'll wash your feet. I'll give water to your souls. It's going to happen if you just come to me. And then he says, God be gracious to you, my son. Such beautiful words. Such amazing words because that's exactly what Jesus speaks to us. He shows us that grace is for us. He shows us that we can get grace through him. And then what? We're made sons. We have the result of grace, which means you get made a son. And a son, you know, is, is after the image of his father. He does the things, he cares about the things his father cares about. And so what Jesus does, instead of saying, hey, fix your life, change your life, change your behavior, act better, stop sinning, he says, don't worry about that. Come to me, I'll give you grace and I'll make you a son. I'll change who you actually want to be. I'll change what you are. So instead of you wanting to sin, you're going to want to please your father. And that's what being, why being a son is so important. Because it changes who we are on the inside. And that's what J Joseph is referencing here when he says, God, be gracious to you, my son. It's crazy how grace shows up long before the law in the Bible, right? The law is not given until way in the next book. 420 years after God speaks to Abraham. But grace is the message of the whole Bible. The law is a portion of time. It has served a purpose we can study that at another time. Grace is how God works all the time. It overrides and overrules the law. And he says, God be gracious to you. He can make you a son. It's awesome. Verse 31, then he washed his face. Joseph, he's been crying. And he restrains himself and he says, he says, serve the bread. Highlight that, underline it. Serve the bread. Because it's, it's when you eat the bread that you really get a spiritual awakening revelation of who Jesus is. Serve the bread. And again, I want you to be thinking, you're going to eat some bread here. It's not magic. But Jesus says, serve the bread. It's when you guys deal with the bread. It's when you chew on that and remember what it's about that there will be a revelation in your life and a revolution in your life, a sun-making, a grace-given. All these things happen when we serve the bread. Verse 32, And they set him in a place by himself and them by themselves. And the Egyptians 
who ate by him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for it is abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph, he's about to be revealed to his brothers, and it's the bread that's the important thing, the bread, the bread. That's where the revelation of Joseph comes. The bread led them here. In their grain was treasures. Oh, interesting. Money in the bread? Treasures in the bread? How about this? In their bread was the very price of their betrayal of their brother. The 20 pieces of silver were in the bread. The bread is key. Do you know the bread? Do you know what it is? Turn with me to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus talks a lot about this. He helps us to understand. Because he is not confusing. He's very clear. And if we need to know something, he'll tell us about it. So in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that come, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me. Of that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will who has sent me, that everyone who sees the Son of Man and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. And verse 40, and then the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. This is amazing. Jesus says, I am what you have been chasing. Jacob has been up in Canaan, and he's chasing the bread. He's, it's leading him. It's leading the family back to where he needs to be. All right, Jesus says, I am what you've been chasing. I am what satisfies you. Nothing else will. I alone will satisfy you. I use this illustration sometimes. Like a hole, there's a God-shaped hole, a Jesus-shaped hole in everyone's heart. And we try to fill it, and you try to fill it with money, try to fill it with fame and friends and popularity and, and drugs, food, broncos. And it doesn't fill it. Only Jesus Christ will ever fill that hole. And I have a really great illustration personally for this, because when I was two years old, my dad took me to Waterworld, and I turned purple. And my dad's like, hmm. That's not supposed to happen. So they took me to the doctor, and the doctor says, your son has a hole in his heart. And so I had a hole in my heart. I had open-heart surgery when I was two, and they sewed up my hole. They put Jesus in there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that happened by faith. Years later, this is not weird doctrine, all right? Jesus is not a... Uh, what, what do people... What do they leave in surgeries now? Isn't that crazy? They leave stuff in your bodies, like... Yeah, they leave mints or like knives or scalpels, those sponges and 
The doctor's glasses are in there. I don't know. <laughs> Wedding rings. <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> I just think that. How can you do that? Oh, I forgot. <laughs> Gosh. Jesus says, I, well, I'm the only one that can satisfy you. I'm the bread. So these are, this is what he means when he's all this John chapter 6 stuff about I am the bread. Jesus says, I'm what you've been chasing. I'm what satisfies you. He says, I'll not cast you out. I'm not going to cast you out. So that's a big lesson in there. How about I will raise you up? I'll raise you up after you're dead. I'll make this life worth living. Okay, also, I, I'm all that you need. So don't complain about that. So your pastor says, all that your life, all that matters in your life is Jesus. And you're like, gosh, so annoying. That's what the Jews did. Jesus, you're so annoying. You're always like, I'm the only thing that matters. <laughs> and he is. He's the, he is God in human flesh. They're willing to give you everything you need for life and godliness. And the Jews complained about it? Well, because it takes humility to accept that. It takes an acknowledgement of your need. It takes faith saying, I believe that you're that. Okay, that's, the, the Jews didn't have that heart that wanted it. Okay, that's where we need to grow. It's to say, oh, I'm not going to complain again. Jesus is all that matters in my life. I got fired from my job. Hey, Jesus didn't leave me. I just got cancer. Jesus didn't leave me. He's all that matters. It fixes everything. It does. It's amazing. Don't be bummed that there's nothing more in your life. Don't be bummed or frustrated that it's just reading your Bible. That's all you can do. Don't get discouraged about that. Jesus says, it's just me. It's when we humbly accept Jesus as the bread that we finally learn all that that means. We can't learn it outside of him. Uh, you have to taste and see that he's good. You guys are imagining my jalapeno bread. I know you are. And you're salivating. So good. So soft and moist, a little spicy. Some cheddar on it. Oh. So we're going to have it chili today. Glory. Anyway, you're not going to taste it. I am going to taste it. And it's the same with Jesus. If you don't personally taste him and come to him, you're not going to see. And you're going to be like, all those Christians are crazy. All those Christians, they spend all their time doing nothing but praying, talking to God, singing weird songs. They're terrible at what they do. I don't understand why they go. I don't understand what they're doing. It doesn't make sense to me. And God's like, ha I told you. Because you only know when you taste it. You only know how good it is when you taste it. That's why they do samples at Sam's. You know that, right? They trick, they, they want, it's a biblical principle. You have to taste and see that it's good. And they trick you and they get you. Well, Jesus is doing the same thing. He wants you to taste and see. That's why we have communion, see? No. <laughs> Our communion doesn't taste good. Well, it's not bad, but where are we going with this? I, I don't know. So you got to taste and see that Jesus is good. All right? That's, that's the whole point of that. All right, so now we're going to see the last test that Joseph has for his brothers. All right? Will they love their father 
and their younger brother? Will they love their father and their younger brother? Fathers, you know, this is, it's going to, it's speaking about the heavenly father. And the younger brother is very interesting. Jesus came as the younger. He acted as the younger. Remember, we were talking about Gail Irwin's book, The Jesus Style, and that's one of the little headings that he does a whole chapter on is Jesus the younger, how he never took the authority of being the elder brother or like the, he never said, I demand your respect. He said, no, I'm just coming as the younger. Even though he could have, he didn't. And the younger brother here, again, speaks of Jesus. And Joseph's last test for his brothers wasn't, are you guys going to be perfect? Are you going to keep the law? It's, are you going to love the father and the younger brother? The guy who came in humility, the guy who's just, I'm not Benjamin, another picture of Jesus. So good. Well, this is chapter 43, verse 33. They sat before him and he, he, they, la, 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 la. and they sat before him. The firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. And he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. Ha <coughs> <laughs> ha. Joseph. Joseph here, he does a supernatural thing, at least in their mind. The odds of getting 11 brothers right in age is like one in five million or something like that. It's crazy odds. So Joseph here, he does a supernatural sign to show them something weird is going on here. And what he does, Jesus, Joseph, excuse me, Joseph, he serves them the bread, which is exactly what Jesus does for us. He puts God's resources in a digestible form for us. Bread. That's why he is the bread. If you want to know what God has for you, Go to Jesus. You'll get it from him. He loves to serve you. Joseph shouldn't have served. He had servants to do the serving jobs, but Joseph took the initiative to say, no, I am going to be the one to serve you. And he's checking to see, with the five times as much for Benjamin, he's checking to see if they have any bitterness and hatred towards their younger, weaker brother. This is the first part of the test. Are you going to love the younger brother? How will they react when their younger brother is treated better? Verse 1 of chapter 44, And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Oh, God is so mean to us. Really? He's loading you up with blessings. Verse 2, Also put my cup, my cup, my cup, Wow, my cup. What do we have in addition to the bread over here? Little plastic cups <laughs> filled with juice. I find this amazing. Joseph here, he's got the bread going on. Now he's got the cup. Hey, it's a silver cup, it says. Put my cup, my silver cup. Silver in the Bible is the metal that speaks of redemption. Redemption. He's going to do a redemptive work in their lives. He's going to bring them back. Even though they go astray, he brings them back, and his cup is used to do that. It's amazing. Brass is used for judgment in the Bible. Silver is redemption. Gold is for deity. It's a lot of different cool metals that, that line up with different things. But this one's really neat. 
and he says, put it in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. And when they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph sent his steward, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which the, the one, the cup from which my Lord drinks and which he indeed practices divination? You have done an evil, evil in so doing. So he overtook them and spoke to, uh, he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we bought, brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouths of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, then he said, now also let it be according to your words. Let or he with whom it is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and opened his sack. So when he searched, he began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes. Each man tore, uh, it, then each man loaded his donkeys, and re, there's these donkeys again, and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I will certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. We are here, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. <laughs> and then Judah came near to him and said, O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left among his mother's children. And his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless my younger brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told, told him all the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our younger brother isn't with us. And we will, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me. And I said, surely he is torn into pieces. I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, 
when I am come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us since his life is bound up in the lad's life. That's a really cool verse when, it ta- when thinking about the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. Then he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servants became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I don't bring him back, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up to his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Whole chapter, without even one comment. Pretty proud of myself. (laughs) You like that, huh? (laughs) All right. These brothers here in this chapter, they they pass the test. They're choosing to love their father and their brother. So they could have very easily said, Benjamin, you're screwed. We're out of here. It's in his sack. But no, they tore their clothes. They went with him. They loaded up their donkeys. They go with him. and, and, And they've had this heart change. See, with the bread, there's been this heart change. When they believed in the bread, when they tasted the bread, there was this major heart change. We can't fix people. Nobody can fix you. You're really messed up. But God can. Things that are impossible with men are possible with God. And God says, come and eat my bread. Spend time with my son, Jesus Christ. And when you do that, there will be heart change. And the heart change will be love for your father and your brothers. So amazing how that happens. I want to point out a few things that I see that they did that showed their hearts were changed. They did not resent it when Benjamin was given the favored portion. They were shocked, but they weren't resenting. They weren't resentful. They trusted each other, not accusing each other of wrong when accused of sealing the cup. No one was like, oh, I bet it was Reuben. (laughs) They stuck together when the silver cup was found. They did not abandon the favored son and allowed him to be carried back to Egypt alone. They completely humbled themselves for the sake of the favored son. They knew their predicament would result was the result of their sin against Joseph. They knew it was because of sin where they were at. That's a big heart change when you realize all your problems are because you sinned. Every single one of them. Or someone sinned against you, but it's sin nonetheless. Sin is the problem. They offered themselves as slaves to Egypt, not abandoning Benjamin, the favored son, their brother. They showed due concern for how this might affect their father. Judah was willing to be a substitutionary sacrifice for his brother out of love for his father and brother. Out of love. So amazing. So This is more foreshadows than an M. Night Shyamalan movie. So many wonderful things we see here about Jesus coming. All right, so we're going to start chapter 45. We're going to read one verse. Don't get all crazy. We're done. But we got to read this last verse, chapter 45, verse 1. Then, this is so good. 
Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So amazing. Jesus wants nothing more than to make himself known to you in your life right now. But it cannot happen while we are still slaves of sin. We have to have that heart change that comes from believing and tasting the word of God. And for us, there's a real practical thing. We're going to come take communion right now, and you can see God do a work in your heart today when you come and you say, I believe what you did, Jesus, when you died on the cross. That your body was broken as I chew this bread. I'm thinking about the body of Christ being broken for me and my sin. And I love, and it produces in me a heart of love. And I don't know how that happens, but it happens. I guess it is like magic. And then I drink the cup and I remember his new life being poured into me, the redemption that he bought for me, a new life that I didn't deserve and I didn't earn, but a new heart of love given to me. And when we do those things, Jesus is made revealed in our lives. It's clear who he is and what he wants from you and what he's doing in you. Those things happen when we come to him. So good, so good. Well, as we are going to study next not next week, but the week after, we're going to study the, chapter 45, and we're going to see amazing prophetic implications of what happens when he reveals himself to the Jewish people.